0: Good morning everyone. Can you hear me? So starting in September, our church has been engaging with the sermon series, Why I Love Jesus. And when Brad approached me to preach, he asked me specifically, why do you love Jesus, Melissa? What about Jesus engages your heart? There were a million reasons. Um, He told me I had to pick one. (laughs) So I landed on this one. I love Jesus because he offers me and he offers you belonging. Belonging, what does that mean for you? In my teenage years, belonging was having a tight group of friends who loved and understood me. I remembered how important they were. They were my priority, and the whole world centered around them. Here's our group. Do you think we get them? So in our group was Linda, Young, Un, Suzanne, Marita, uh, Diana, and Khadija. So I'm showing my age a bit here. We didn't have smartphones back then. We had to memorize each other's phone numbers the old school way. Does anyone else remember that time where you had to memorize your friend's phone number and you had to share one phone in your family and it was corded. Do you guys remember that? Well, Suzanne's number was 352-1919. And Linda's number, 352-6272. I have it, it's right there. Those are not their numbers now, so don't try to call them. (laughs) And there's also no area code. I don't know if you noticed that as well, because that's how old I am. You didn't even have to punch in an area code. My friends and I would call each other and talk for hours about everything and nothing. And we gave each other nicknames too. My friend Linda, she was called Crispy. She loved crispy fried chicken and she also had a golden tan color, the color of her beloved fried chicken. (laughs) Young was Young Badabang. Khadijah was Dita, Marita was Maritz, and I was Momo. Momo. In fact, the friend who started calling me Momo or Mo for short is sitting right here today. I've known her since middle school young. I love you. You're the best. (laughs) As I mentioned before, my friends were my world. We supported each other through breakups. We ate good food together at Chinatown and cheap diners. We danced together at all the school dances. We helped each other interpret the hidden signals of the boys we were crushing on, like, what did that mean? What do you think that meant? We played Taboo on Friday nights. We were a crazy crew. (laughs) And we brought each other balloons on birthdays, which we carried around school all day. My friends loved and supported me, and they made me laugh. More importantly, they accepted me fully for who I was. And this is what belonging looked like for me in my teenage years. So I just turned 37 on Halloween, and I can tell you that belonging for me is still all of this and even more, and I'll touch back on that later. What does Jesus have to say about belonging? Let's look at the story of the sinful woman who anoints Jesus' feet. The story is found in Luke 736 to 50, and I've asked my good friend, Charlene Jones, to read the passage out loud for everyone. And as Charlene reads the passage, I invite you to visualize what's happening in this story. If it helps, you can close your eyes and just really pay attention. Who's um, who's involved in the story? Who are the characters? Also, what are they experiencing? What are the emotions? And there's also a parable in there. It's a short teaching story, so try to visualize that as well.
1: When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, yet you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
0: Thank you, Charlene. So we read in the story that a sinful woman enters a dinner party that a Pharisee is hosting and Jesus is attending. While the scripture doesn't say why this woman is considered sinful, it's very likely that she's a prostitute. When you visualize the woman, what did you see? I saw that she was deeply vulnerable, broken, and hungry for love and belonging. How was she treated in this story? What is her place at that dinner party? She's certainly not a welcomed guest. Perhaps she is seen as being imposing, unclean, and unworthy of a spot at that table. Not only is she a woman, she's a public sinner whose sins can be seen on the outside. She doesn't belong at that dinner. However, notice how Jesus treats her. Although she is not welcome, Jesus allows the woman to approach him. More than that, Jesus allows her to touch him. The woman weeps over his feet, and her tears are abundant and flowing. She gently holds and kisses his feet without ceasing. And not having any towel with her, the woman wipes his feet with her own hair. Afterwards, she anoints his feet with perfume. And I picture this. My heart is moved by this woman and by Jesus While there is aching and longing, there's also a tenderness and adoration on her part. And there's also a lot of touching happening. It's not casual touching. It's deeply intimate and vulnerable. And Jesus doesn't push her away. He doesn't reel back in disgust. Instead, he welcomes her touch and adoration. He welcomes her tears, her anointing. He even reciprocates her love and gentleness. And in doing so, he offers her belonging right then and there. And this was radical. This is why I love Jesus. You see, during his time, it was taboo to allow a marginalized person to touch you. If you were touched by a leper, a prostitute, a widow a bleeding woman, a person tormented by mental health challenges or physical differences, the belief was that you in turn became defiled, unclean. Pharisees who were hosting this dinner party particularly held tight to the social convention. They loved to distance themselves as the holy from the unholy, the righteous from the unrighteous, and the clean from the unclean. So, you can imagine how they reacted when they saw the woman touching Jesus and him allowing her to touch him. These social conventions, however, didn't stop Jesus from allowing the woman to touch him. And furthermore, Jesus chooses to speak directly to this woman when he says to her in verse 48, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you, he says in verse 50. Go in peace. In speaking directly to her, he does more than just passively receive her words, uh, her worship. He actively acknowledges her as a humanized being at that dinner party. She's no longer just the sinful woman or the uninvited guest who doesn't belong. To Jesus, she's a human being who is worthy of love and belonging. And this is why I love Jesus. He offers belonging to those who are cast out to the margins of society, those who are despised, those who are lonely. And he offers the same belonging to us when he sees us and lets us in. And when Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace, Jesus restores her. Here's a woman who likely feels the weight of worthlessness and judgment that has been tacked upon her by society. Because she's a prostitute, she exists on the margins. And it's likely that she doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have a loving community to belong to. But Jesus forgives her. And he sends her off in peace, in his shalom peace. And in doing so, he restores this woman and offers her belonging. She belongs to him. And in the same way, you and I belong to Jesus when he restores us. Jesus doesn't stop there. He acts as her ally. An ally is someone who uses their privilege to stand up for someone else who's being oppressed. When the Pharisee judges both the woman and Jesus, he uses a parable. Jesus uses a parable to teach him. Jesus loved parables, especially to teach those who thought they had all the answers. Folks like the Pharisees. In the parable, Jesus describes how a moneylender, who can be interpreted to be God, forgives the debts of two people, one who owes much more than the other person. In true Jesus fashion, he asks Simon the Pharisee, who does he think loved the moneylender more? And Simon answers, well, the one who owed a greater debt, of course. But what Simon may not realize is that this parable is actually about him and the woman. While he's so busy judging the woman and her sinfulness, he doesn't realize that he too is broken and in need of a savior, in need of some grace and forgiveness. In sharing this parable, Jesus is also speaking out against Simon's judgment of the woman. He's not letting it slide, and he's not being complicit with it. As the woman's ally, Jesus speaks out against the Pharisees when he speaks up for the woman and when he speaks to the woman. And Jesus does the same for us. Jesus offers us belonging when he acts as our ally. Allies, we all need them, especially if you're a marginalized person. You need them even more. Earlier in my talk, I shared with you how I experienced belonging as a teenager with my group of close friends. We were close for many reasons. One of them is because we were each other's allies. You see, we were nearly all girls of color from immigrant families who gave each other belonging and community when other groups and people excluded us and made us feel different. The belonging that I seek today as a grown woman isn't much different from what I sought back then. Today, just like then, I want to belong to a community that loves and sees me, accepts and supports me, a community that isn't colorblind to who I am, nor is it going to treat me as if I'm a foreigner in my own country. As much as I have experienced belonging, belonging has also been elusive for me. My hyphenated racial identity has a lot to do with that. I identify as Asian American. I was born to Korean parents in Philadelphia where I grew up. I spoke Korean at home with my family and went to a very Korean church. I had to. My dad was the senior pastor. (laughs) And growing up, 90% of my diet was Korean comfort food. Parallel to that very Korean experience, I simultaneously lived fully as an American. I went down the shore every summer, I hear some laughs, we have some Jersey folks in here, like all of my white friends and their families. I watch cartoons and ate sugary cereal every Saturday morning with my sister, Ellen, Grace, and Julia. I subscribe to Teen Bop magazine. And I crushed on Jonathan Taylor Thomas (laughs) and Jordan Knight from New Kids on the Block, just like my white friends did. My family ate turkey, Cranberry sauce, pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving, just like other white families did. Okay, not going to lie, there was also a heaping bowl of ripe kimchi and steaming bowl of white rice with the turkey. And if I, as an Asian American, were a food product, I would be this. So does anybody know, if, you're, if you know Korean language, you don't count, you cannot participate in this part. Does anybody know what this is? Just say it out loud. Spam. 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 Yep, that's spam. And if you look closely on the can, it says spam classic in English on the left, but in Korean it says spam, classic, <laughs> spam classic. Um, I grew up eating it. Koreans love it. We fried it with eggs and ate it on top of rice and kimchi, not going to lie. We diced it into cubes and threw it into kimchi jjigae, which is like a spicy Korean stew. It's really good on a cold day. And we would slice it thin. I see a lot of smiles, man. People must be loving kimchi jjigae out here. We also sliced it thin and wrapped it with rice and seaweed, um, and that was called spam sushi. Very fancy stuff. More than anything, Spam was comfort food for me. Spam sushi is a real thing. (laughs) Um, Koreans love Spam so much that they sell this mysterious pink and gelatinous meat everywhere in Korea. This is a painting by our very own and very talented Peter Chung, who was up here doing announcements. Can we just give him a round of applause? (laughs) Big thanks to Peter for allowing me to use his artwork today. Kenny and I recently had Peter and Angela over for dinner and he showed me the Spam artwork. I I actually didn't know he painted it. I was like, why did you take a photo of Spam? He's like, no, no, I painted it. I was like, whoa, you painted that thing, it was awesome. Um, And he said it was his self-portrait. And then, (laughs) like self-portrait, self-portrait nude. And can I just say, Kenny and I were in stitches. We couldn't stop laughing. We were like, oh my gosh, you've captured it. I've been called many things, like a banana and Twinkie, you know, yellow on the outside, white in the middle. Spam, that did not seem like it was degrading. <laughs> this, this I could get behind. So as Peter himself would describe it, We Koreans can feel very American, like Spam, on the inside of this can, but we can look very Korean on the outside, just as the words are printed on the outside of the can. So my hyphenated identity has its ups and downs. While I love having two cultures to draw upon, I don't always love the complexities of cradling two worlds. Oftentimes, I don't feel like I ever fully belong in either worlds. I can feel like an outsider, depending on who's looking at me. In predominantly Korean spaces, I've been made to feel that I'm too American. That means my Korean heritage doesn't earn me complete acceptance into some Korean groups. I don't conform well to traditionally accepted Confucian roles, especially when it comes to being a woman. I've been told I'm too loud, I'm too opinionated, I'm way too independent and I'm too feminist. Korean elders regularly point out that I don't fit Korean standards of beauty. My tan skin, which I love, especially in the summertime, is too dark. My nose, this is the min nose. My paternal grandmother passed this on to me. My Samuel has this nose. I've been told it's too wide. It needs surgical narrowing. I'm told my body's too big, it takes up too much space. And when I was traveling alone in Korea in my 20s, I thought my Korean language skills were pretty good, especially because I don't speak it every day, I only speak it to my parents. However, I was reminded time and time again that something seemed off with my use of the Korean language. I remember one case, a taxi driver was driving me around in Seoul, and he was asking me about my Korean. I told him that I grew up in the states and spoke mostly English back at home, while he remarked that he thought my Korean was really good for a Kyopo. I didn't take it as a compliment because he called me a Kyopo. That means a Korean born outside of Korea, and this word has negative connotations, especially because one's ability to speak Korean fluently helps you pass as being 100% bona fide Korean. I am 100% bona fide Korean. That is my heritage but in predominantly Korean spaces, I have found that it can be challenging to find acceptance and belonging. Frustratingly, on the other side of that, I'm just too Asian for some Americans. I grew up constantly feeling like I was a foreigner in my own country. Although I was born here in Philly, and I lived pretty much in or near Philly my whole life, I'm regularly reminded that I'm a foreigner that doesn't belong here. Literally, the message, go home gooks, was spray painted on our family's garage door when I was in middle school. There were swastikas spray painted along with that hateful message. But more pervasive are the microaggressions that I endure regularly, which send the message to me that I'm not fully American, This isn't my home, and I don't belong. On my first day teaching at a small Quaker school in the suburbs, a parent bowed to me when I introduced myself to him. And I quickly told him that bowing wasn't necessary. A a simple hello or a wave would be sufficient. In that same class, my own fourth grade student, whom I loved and adored, slanted his eyes behind my back, making his classmates laugh. Our class had to have a healing circle afterwards to address why that was hurtful and wrong. Curious people like to regularly ask me, where are you from? And I say, Philly. (laughs) They often look confused and ask again. They usually slow down their words. No, (laughs) where are you really from? Really, I say to them, I'm from Philly. More recently, a friend who is not that close um, and who's white told me, I don't see color. I forget sometimes that you're not white, Melissa. I think she thought that was a compliment, and maybe just a few years ago, I would have taken it as a compliment, as evidence that I had fully assimilated into white American culture. But that's not how her comment landed in me. It was like a paper cut. Not a direct slash of hate-filled racism, like that spray-painted message, but nonetheless, a painful erasure of my identity as an Asian-American. I could go on all morning with more of these types of stories, my own and others, but we would be here forever. Also, are you feeling a little uncomfortable right now? Because I know I am. Confronting racism is not meant to be comfortable. It's uncomfortable because at the heart of racism is dehumanization. And hatred. Today, when I don't feel like I completely belong, I often ask myself, is it because I'm Asian American? And I know that I'm not alone in having to second guess my belonging in certain spaces. In fact, I hear stories all the time from my friends, even from people here at Mosaic that say that they don't always feel like they belong, that they're lonely, that they're longing for a community that accepts them. Is this you? Are you struggling to find community? Are you struggling to be accepted and seen? Do you feel pushed to the side and kept out because of the color of your skin, the language that you speak, your gender identity, your sexual orientation, your political views, your mental health, your age, whether you are married or have children? If that's you, I have a message for you. It's a message that I received when I was praying with the staff recently. And God God brought it to my attention that there's people here at Mosaic who are silently suffering because they don't feel like they don't belong in some way. That there are some people who have come to this church looking for community and acceptance, but they're having a hard time finding it and fitting in. God wants to share this message with you. You belong You are loved, you are seen. I'm going to say it again. You belong, you are loved, you are seen. Just as Jesus offered the woman belonging, he's offering it to you and me. We belong to him. So I've been part of this community at Mosaic for over 10 years now. And in those 10 years, I have experienced the belonging that can be offered here. When I was a sleep-deprived, isolated, first-time mother, people from Mosaic supported me and my family with homemade meals and visits. When all of my closest friends moved away from this church right around the same time, I was feeling the social isolation of parenting two young children, and I was lonely. I reached out to Amanda Van Nostrand's small group. And I just told them directly and honestly on my first day that I was hungry for community and connection. The folks in that group warmly welcomed me, and the friends I made there are still some of my closest friends here at Mosaic. And when I told Brad last year that I was feeling conflicted about certain aspects of my faith and belief, he reassured me that Mosaic was the place for me to sit with those questions and work them out in a safe place, I didn't have to have all the answers. I said, but I'm on staff. He said, you don't have to have all the answers. It's okay. In all of these cases, I was offered belonging at Mosaic by people who love Jesus and who love me. And so I have a challenge for all of us here. Let us do the same for each other. Let us offer each other radical love, radical inclusion, and radical belonging the way Jesus offers it to the woman and to us. Let us loosen up our tight-knit circles so that there's a way for someone new to join in. Let's go out of our comfort zones to get to know someone who's so very different from you. What does this look like in practice? It means choosing to sit next to someone different that you don't know during service instead of your closest friends. It means asking that person for dinner sometime, having them over for dinner sometime, or planning a hangout. It means scheduling a play date with their kids and your kids and just getting to know them. It might mean cooking and bringing someone a meal on a meal train, even if you don't know that person. It means greeting someone new at church and remembering their name the next time they visit. They'll remember that you remembered. It means inviting someone new to your kid's birthday party or your next social gathering. It means getting into the practice of always asking yourself, who else can I include? It means taking a closer look at the racial makeup of your social circles and seeing how you can make it more diverse and integrated. It means making space for differences and respecting chosen identities, gender pronouns, It ultimately means that we honor the humanity in the other person by seeing the God in the other person. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. calls this the beloved community. It's a community in which people of different backgrounds recognize that we're all interconnected, that our individual well-being is bound to the well-being of others. A beloved community is one that reflects the beauty of diversity and offers reconciliation, belonging, and acceptance for all. And I believe that Mosaic is working towards becoming this beloved community. Would each of you help to make that happen? Would each of you offer radical love, acceptance, and belonging to one another? And hold tightly to the message that God has for every one of us here today. You belong, you are loved, you are seen. Thank you.